Welcome to our classroom. In this space, we talk about education, which is inclusive of, but not limited to, what happens in schools. Education is taking place whenever and wherever we are willing to learn. I am your host, Roberto Germán, and our classroom is officially in session. Peace, y'all. Several months ago, I had the opportunity to chop it up with Tom Gibson. We talked about ed tech and entrepreneurship, being educational entrepreneurs. Tom is a two-time teacher of the year educator, creative director at New Ed Tech Classroom, educational consultant, and an Adobe education leader. He has taught middle school math, robotics, and YouTube video production. Outside of education, he's a practitioner of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, an avid runner, a chicken wing and ranch connoisseur, and is actively involved in his church. He, his wife Sarah, and daughter Audrey live in Austin, Texas. Well, we're going to go ahead and start. And I want to ask you just, I know who you are, but some of the folks here might not know who you are. So if you could start by introducing yourself and also um, how do you self-identify, where are you from? Just a little bit of context so our people here can get to know you a little bit. Sure. I'm Tom Gibson. I'm here in Austin, Texas. Uh, I, I identify racially as, as, as biracial. My mother was born and raised in Panama. Uh, my dad was born and raised in Alabama. So I consider myself a Panabamian. Uh, but <laughs> the Gibson name, it's a, it's a Scottish name. Uh, we've got Scottish ancestry back a few generations. Um, but unfortunately, uh, culturally, I don't feel I got as much opportunity uh, to, to kind of embrace my, my Panamanian heritage as I didn't really, I spent, I've been in Panama for two weeks of my life. And that wasn't until I was, I was, I was like almost 20 years old. Uh, and so it's like in, in the home, you know, my mom talked to me in Spanish and everything, but I spoke to her in English all the time. And now, like now I'm trying to like get better at the Spanish, but it's a struggle. Uh, and so most of my, most of my life have been culturally, uh, culturally white uh, and white culture and everything like that. Um, but uh, I am, I'm in Austin. I'm a former, professionally, I identify as an educator, uh, but I'm a, a former classroom teacher um, working with Roberto uh, the past three years, I believe it was. Yes. Uh, but now we have kind of taken similar paths where we've, we've left the traditional school setting uh, to serve, serve teachers around the world. Uh, via social media, and for me, uh, it's via via YouTube, via online courses, uh, and things of that nature. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. Uh, and I think it's great that you you mentioned it, you were vulnerable in, in saying that, like, you know, my mom's Panamanian, but, you know, culturally, I just didn't absorb all that, trying to learn more about the culture and, 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 and learn more master more language now. I think people need to hear that stuff. But sometimes, yeah. you know, people are, are are so afraid of what how others will respond that they won't be vulnerable enough to share that reality. So thank you for doing that. Uh, I think it's great modeling for our people. Yeah. In terms of being vulnerable, but also, you know, trying to pursue that a bit, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you met, obviously, for the past three years, we worked together in the school capacity, uh, Headwaters School, Austin, Texas. Shout out to Headwaters. Headwaters, I still got the banner up on the back. That's right. <laughs> um, I want to wish them a happy school year because I know they started yesterday. 
and we have a lot of love for you, even though we're both doing something different now. Uh, Headwaters was a, a big part of community for us, right? And so mm -hmm. I want to wish everybody from Headwaters in Austin, Texas, a happy school year. We love you. Um, go Hawks. Subscribe, subscribe <laughs> and follow both of us. Yes, go Hawks. Subscribe and follow both of us. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about the capacity in which you were serving the past three years? Uh, obviously, you recently shifted gears. Uh, so we want to hear about what you're doing now. Uh, but I do want to start with what you were doing the past three years. And I'm hopeful that you'll talk a little bit about classroom economy because, you know, I, we got to keep that thing alive, man. It was just so great <laughs> what you were doing with classroom economy that I think just sharing a little bit might inspire some of the folks who are watching. Yeah, of course. So for the last, uh, really the last seven years, I was teaching middle school. I've been a in education for 10 years, taught middle school for the last seven. Um, and in the last three, really kind of started focusing uh, on a couple things in the classroom, but I was teaching middle school math and robotics with a few other classes here and there as well, like YouTube video production and uh, physical science last year. I found out physical science wasn't my jam, but I taught it and I got through it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for uh, sticking with it. But one of the things that, that, I, that I tried to do in my classroom, uh, what really started, I got an idea from, from a teacher that I, I read several of his books named uh, Ray Fesquith. Um, was was empowering my students in the classroom um, and and giving them ownership of the classroom and teaching them skills that they don't typically learn in a classroom that are very valuable, particularly financial literacy skills, um, but also just job skills out in the out in the world. Uh, and so, what that looked like in this classroom economy uh, of mine was, I, I thought about all the things in my classroom that could be outsourced. To a student stuff that I didn't have to do like what are the things that I have to do like or the things that really like that's that's the real work of teachers like the like the making making connections and working one-on-one -on -one in small groups and things like that like I didn't like having to like write the agenda on the board or even sometimes like you know writing the newsletter to parents about what's going on in the class like man like how much more meaningful if, if a kid did that, or if a student was writing on the board, or if a student was taking care of the technology in the classroom, or if a student was making my coffee for me, or if a student was going and, and picking up all the trash, or if a student was creating a podcast every month to send to our entire community about what's going on in the classroom. And so I thought of all these different ways that, that not only things would be taken off my plate, but these would be tasks that, that kids would love and enjoy. You know, the kids would actually be applying for the jobs that they were interested in. So the kid that like has, is, is, is fearful of technology, they don't have to be the tech assistant setting up my laptop and helping all the kids out with their technology. Maybe they're super into organizing and everything just has to be in its right place. They can be my Marie organizing specialist inspired by the Marie Kondo method. Right. Just everything in its right spot. And so having this classroom economy, having the kids apply for their top three jobs so that way they had a voice in what and how they were going to contribute. And teachers always ask me, did every student have to contribute? It's like, yes, every student had to have a job because it's important that all of us are doing our part in some capacity. Right. And in order to make that happen, I, I wanted to give the students as much buy-in as possible. And I really worked to, to give them one of their top three job choices. And they would talk about, you know, on there, they would have to say, why I, I asked them, why would you be a good fit for this job? And then they have to articulate to me, as opposed to so much of education, we're trying to convince 
students why they should be putting the effort in. It's like, no, 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 we're gonna flip the script. You're going to convince me why I should make you the tech assistant, why I should make you the class podcaster, the newsletter writer. And so with that, we, we started kind of taking it to the next level. I started thinking like, well, what if students not only apply for these jobs, but they got paid a salary based on the, mm. the amount of work that the jobs, jobs entailed. So every month, you know, the, the hardest, most responsible job, they'd get 1600 a month where the jobs where you come in and turn on the lights and open the blinds, you get 1100 a month. And so fair is fair. Yeah. 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 So, and then it was really interesting at the end of the year, you know, the kids had all these different opportunities, not only for their jobs, but to make extra money that could start their own businesses. They all start at zero. You know, and so at the end of the year, kids were like, well, that's not fair. This person has so much more money than me. It's like, well, I'll tell you, like, where did everybody start? And who had all the, who had opportunities here and there? Everyone had all these opportunities. In real life, everyone doesn't start at zero. Everyone doesn't have the same opportunities right. that are given and, you know, offered. It. So we have that conversation about and that's, you know, a, like, that's the equity. That's the equity conversation. Exactly. Exactly, because they, we, we talk about that. Like, what did it look like in our classroom this year? What does this look like outside of our classroom? And, mm -hmm. and people that are growing up in different neighborhoods and different advantages and different privileges that, that, that we, as much as we could, we tried to level it out as much as we could in the classroom. And so we have that conversation. But in the classroom, they have that money. They have to pay rent. They have to pay fines for misbehavior. And then, of course, they can earn extra money uh, by, by, by going above and beyond, either academically or being a part of, 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 of sports. And, and I even told kids, like, if you're a part of a video game team, like, great, that's bonus money. If you're a part of, of, of any, any kind of extracurriculars, that's bonus money. So just trying to give them as much opportunity to make as much money as they can. And then in pre-COVID times, we would have a monthly auction where one person's job was to go to businesses and say like, hey, we're learning about financial literacy in my class. We've got this class auction. Would you be willing to donate? And how empowering it is for an 11 year old to go to a company, ask for a manager, tell them what we're doing, yeah. show them an official letter, and then get $50 worth of merchandise just given to them to, be, to bring to, to our classroom, classroom auction. And so students would then auction off their, their classroom money uh, to, to bid on the items that they wanted. So the kids that either were getting lots of fines or weren't taking advantages of opportunities for bonus money, they weren't getting as much opportunity to bid on all these cool things and cool items. And so all of this was managed on a, a virtual bank that was called Paygrade. They changed the name uh, to Stash because they just got uh, bought out by an investment company, which is great because now all their premium features are free. And so it really looks like my bank, my online bank that I go to and check my uh -huh. checking account and my so savings account. So it's practical. Account. Exactly. So practical. So they, go, they log in and they can see. And then there's even like investment simulators on there that I didn't even spend time talking about in class. I just, I flipped the switch to turn it on. And then I just wanted to see if kids would find it. And then we had some eighth graders last year that like, you know, with all the stuff with GameStop and everything and right. cryptocurrency, they, they started getting real interested. They started playing around and pulling levers and putting dollars in different stocks. And it was updating in real time. And they're like, whoa. And so I don't know if I made like day traders on accident from that. <laughs> it's just all these different opportunities for kids to, to learn real life skills. It empowers the kids. It frees up time for the teachers. They're learning financial literacy all wrapped in, in, in one big bundle called a classroom economy. That's awesome. That's awesome. And 
I know that through through what you've been doing with your business, Classroom Economy was a, a course that you were pitching before. Um, not sure if you're, you're doing that right now because you have so many other things going on, but would love for you to talk about Gibson Education. What is Gibson Education? How does it tie into your experience in the EdTech world? Um, yeah, what are, what are some things that we should know about uh, Gibson Education and what you're doing with EdTech? Gibson Education is is the company that I started several years ago as a way of, I was listening to all these podcasts about like, how do you make money online? And I'm like, well, I make YouTube videos and I, I, haven't, I have skills and experience in a classroom that I think could be valuable to other teachers. Let me see if I can make this into some kind of business. Um, and so Gibson Education started in 2019. Uh, the YouTube video channel started way before then, but it wasn't until then I was like, all right, let me see if I can, I can work this out. Uh, an online business is hard, Roberto, and we have Best. so many conversations where it's like I'm reading these books and listening to these podcasts and talking to these people that have, that have found success, and I'm like, I'm trying this. It's like, okay, that didn't work. Let me, let me try putting out these YouTube videos about a classroom economy and like, well, they didn't really land because like, some of them were kind of long. Let me, let me kind of package them into this big PDF with links out. To, to videos and, and instructional resources and put it on my website. Well, I mean, I kind of told people about that, but that's not really making much sense. Mm -hmm. let, me, let me make this into a course called How to Create and Manage a Classroom Economy and make it into a nice, nice online course platform now that those are popping up a lot more. And let me, let me, let me go and spread the word on YouTube. And well, that didn't really make much sales. I'm like, I feel like financial literacy is a big pain point. I feel like classroom culture and empowering kids and taking things off the teacher's plate is a pain point. I, let me keep going. So let me let me re, let me rebrand this. Let me turn it into something called how to teach kids about money because people don't even know what a classroom economy is. So if they right. see that, they might not buy it. So let me let me go on podcasts. Let me let me start speaking at at conferences here in Texas all about this and started doing that and got a couple of sales but gosh this is hard mm. tell and, the truth tell the and truth. then I, I kept iterating and kept changing and i was like man let me let me also create a couple other courses on using technology in the classroom and now that we're remote teaching, I know this is a pain point for teachers. Let me show teachers how to create videos and things like that. So I started creating more courses and started learning about sales funnel. You give people a free thing and then they get into your email and then you send them more emails that they actually want to read. And then eventually they're like, I know you, I like you, I trust you. And now you have this paid product that's offering me something that I need. And I was like, okay, so this must be the way to do it. And I did it. And I kind of made some sales and I'm like, I am doing all the things that they say you're supposed to do. But it's hard. It's very hard. You're going to get a lot of misses in edupreneurship. Um, but recently, a couple of things started to turn around. Um, I, I, I got someone reached out to me from from a homeschool company and saw my YouTube channel. They had a former colleague uh, tell them about what I was doing, which is which is good to keep your networks alive and vibrant and checking in with friends around the world and different businesses. And because and, you never know who is going to make a recommendation of like, you should go right. check out what Tom Gibson is doing. And they came to me and said, hey. We saw what you're doing on your YouTube channel and your, one of your colleagues recommended to us. Would you like to make a short, short um, pre-algebra content for our homeschool course? And then I was like, companies like this usually don't pay very well. So I was like, well, what's your budget? 
And they're like, well, here's our budget. I was like, wow, that's a lot higher than I thought it'd be. And then I gave them a number that was beyond that. And then they said, yeah. And then they said, sounds good. And I was like, this is weird. I'm so not used to people saying, you know, like, let's go with that instead of trying to get like the lowest amount. And so it was a job that, that really tied my skills of teaching pre-algebra and teaching, making videos. And they're like, we just want these short five-minute screencast video lessons. We'll provide the Google Slides. If you could just annotate them over them, make them fun, maybe add some sound effects. And I was like, I think I can do that. <laughs> like, that's, that's kind of my jam. And so that came. And then also, in addition to that, um, I, I had made friends with a guy named Sam Carey, another teacher, former teacher doing YouTube, doing online courses, almost the exact same business model as what I was doing, but he had far greater success than me in the last year. And like we had been talking about over the last year of like, hey, how are things going with the business? I'm trying this. I'm trying that. What do you think about this? Hey, I saw that YouTube video that you posted. Maybe you could try this in your next video. Or hey, I saw that newsletter that you did. Maybe you can format it this way. And we were just always ba bounce back and forth all these ideas about business and, and entrepreneurship. And then over the summer, he was creating this library of online courses. And I, I started talking. I was like, hey, I've got this, this course on a classroom economy. What would it look like to, to maybe include that in there? Um, and from that conversation, he started saying, you know, I would love to bring you on as a partner of this company because I'm a, I'm a humanities teacher doing all this ed tech. It'd be really great to round it out with someone in the STEM space, um, someone who knows YouTube, someone who knows online courses. And, and it was like, man, this is like a really great fit. We've got a really good friendship. We've got a good idea about the business model and what we're moving towards. We have the same vision of what we, and the same role of what we think technology plays in the classroom. And so this summer, I partnered with New Ed Tech Classroom and came on as their creative director. And now me and Sam not only are creating content about educational technology and tutorials on how to use it, um, but we are also, we've created this, what we're calling the Academy. It's this library of online courses that includes my course on classroom economy. It's now, it's now termed 21st century classroom culture, because I think that actually hits that more than, uh, of what the entire system's all about. Um, and, and, it's, and it's this model where, where teachers get access to all of our courses as opposed to just buying individual ones. They get access to exclusive webinars and Q&As okay. and, and a network and stuff at, at a monthly rate of $15 a month as opposed to shelling out $150 for a course or $99 for this course or $75 for that course, uh, something that's, a, that's, that's within reach uh, for, for most educators um, and something that we hope to be, to be very valuable uh, to teachers and schools um, and helping because we believe teaching, teaching is hard, um, but we right. believe that we can use technology to make it a little bit easier from, from student engagement to time management um, to, to organization uh, to lots of, lots of things that are involved in the, the difficult challenge of teaching. That's awesome. That's awesome. And some of you who just joined here, you know, I, I want to reiterate some of the things that Tom said. Um, so an entrepreneur, someone who's an educator, Oh no! You're good. Um, so, for for the entrepreneurs out there or aspiring entrepreneurs, it, it's important that you really receive this message that like this is not easy. <laughs> Branching off on your own is not easy. Now, don't let that deter you, uh, because part of what I took from what what Tom shared was yeah, tried some things. Some things worked, some things didn't work. Tried some other things, it didn't go as far as I wanted to. But ultimately, the process of, 
of creating, the process of branching out, the process of, of trying to position yourself based on your skills, based on your expertise, certain and so forth, you were able to leverage that into these other opportunities that has created some freedom for you to operate a little differently. Um, and this, this is not for everybody. I want to be extremely clear about this. This is not for everybody. Uh, some people should and need to remain in the classroom or need to remain as school leaders or whatever space that you're working in. This takes a lot of risk, a, a, a lot of courage, a lot of willingness to explore partnerships that may or may not flourish, uh, but also just an extreme amount of dedication to understanding how to operate in this particular manner. And so uh, kudos to you and everything that you're doing, Tom. Uh, you, there's so much that you mentioned there. And earlier you, you talked about um, with the classroom economy, I, I really want to hit this for people because Tom was talking about uh Ownership, right? Encouraging ownership in the classroom, empowering the students. Talked about equity and, you know, not on this session because it will take a lot more time, but at some point we'd like to really unpack that further because there's, there's so much richness there in that conversation as mm -hmm. it relates to how we could use a system such as classroom economy, not just in the, in the math class, but in any classroom, mm -hmm. to teach students about financial literacy but also to teach students about the disparities that it exists when we, we're talking about equity across this country and we could go beyond, obviously. Yeah. So uh, thanks for, for naming all those things. Um, you know, you, you ended this segment of what you were sharing and talking about uh, how educators could, could use as ed tech. So really mm -hmm. curious to, to hear you uh, share a little bit, given that, you know, most schools at this point have returned for the new school year. Uh, and if they haven't, they will be soon. And so we'd love for you to share uh, three things that educators should keep in mind, why they should keep this in mind as it relates to ed tech. The first thing, you can learn new technologies. You can learn so new old, technology. Even old dogs. Even old dogs. Even old dogs. I mean, okay. like, it's so great like to see the community that Sam's built around the new EdTech classroom in the last year. So I just see comment after comment after comment of all these people are like, you know, saying things like, wow, you made this accessible even for an old timer like me, even for someone who doesn't consider themselves tech savvy like me. And so you can learn new technologies, okay? That's the first thing, okay? There's like, I, and what, what makes me think about that, because like I think about, that's what, one of the big thing, biggest things that I learned in college, because YouTube had just come out and every, we had to make a DVD capstone of our project. Everyone's DVD was always terrible, but I found a YouTube tutorial in 2010 that showed us how to use this DVD software. And I was like, wow. I, and like my DVD came out really good and it would not have come out good had I not gone to like YouTube and studied this video and watched it 12 times and bookmarked it and said, oh, I can learn this. The information is out there. So right. And YouTube University learn. is free tuition. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now, on top of that. I recognize that it takes time to learn things. It takes time to to invest into like. There are so many apps and I believe that I can learn them, but I don't know which ones to learn. And so I would find first, 
talk to your colleagues, find the apps that seem to be the most commonly used because those are gonna be the ones that are the most resources around and then stick with those apps. I like apps like Flipgrid because they're so versatile. Flipgrid yeah, you, you put me on the Flipgrid. Yeah, yeah, and that's and another I love it. app to give everyone a voice in your classroom. The loud kids, the quiet kids, you put you post a prompt and then students create a video response and then they can go and see everybody else's video responses. But they've got so many other resources in there now where you can actually do a screencast and all sorts of other things. And so tools like Flipgrid I think are really great because there, there are lots of like, they're all in one type of tools where you can do so many things. So it's like, okay, I may not know every ed tech tool out there because there's just hundreds of them, but can I pick my two, three, four that I'm going to know like the back of my hand that I'm going to figure out exactly like all the different things that I can do. And then, and then every once in a while, maybe branch out, find a new app just to mix things up with my students. So you can learn technology. Stick with the few apps that you do learn and learn all the things that you can do with them. And the third thing that I would say is find ways, this is, this ties, and for me, this ties into ed tech, but find ways that you can bring, bring your, the things that you're really into and you're passionate about into your classroom. So for me, you know, that was all about making videos. And so I always had my kids making videos because I love making videos, you know, and giving them, teaching them new skills and letting them share their expression through the art of creating videos. And Roberto, I know you use spoken word all the time, you know, in your classroom. And that's your passion and, and inviting kids into that, even though if spoken word wasn't their jam, it's like, okay, you don't have to love this, but I'm going to expose it to you. And you're going to do this one assignment and we're going to see, right. we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to work with you and make sure, make sure it's on fire. So, <laughs> and, and that may not be an ed tech tool, but that could be something where you find a way uh, that you incorporate, maybe you use Flipgrid to incorporate yep. spoken word into it. And so I think it's, it's really important to find, find things that, that excite you because a teacher that's excited about what they're bringing into the classroom and to share it with the kids, that's contagious. You know, multicultural classrooms all about kind of bringing the culture of not only your students into what you're doing and let me hear from you and let me hear from you and what's your culture about, what do you bring to the classroom, but you're a member of that class as well. So you want to bring what, what, what resonates with you and your passions. And so I would find a way to incorporate those passions into the tech that you bring in because it's going to make it all the more exciting for you to learn it as well as your students. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, you know, essentially keep it simple in terms of the, the number of tools that you're using, uh, technology wise, uh, but master them, uh, Yes, master them. So, you know, it'd be great to, to have you, share um, a little bit about <clears throat> what it is that you are experiencing in, in terms of, um, and this, as you've shifted gears, um, what it is that you're experiencing that is a trial um, that perhaps re reminds you of being in the classroom, uh, or maybe it's, it's a little bit different uh, but also, you know, what you experience in regards to triumph. Um, and you talked a little bit earlier about that, but, you, you know, I really, I, I like to bring people in 
to authentic conversations mm -hmm. in which we share like, hey, you know, yeah, oh, this is great and I'm doing this and this is a struggle. I don't necessarily like to just focus on one thing or the other. Yeah. Right. You know, because I, I, I try to see the positive and negative uh, in everything uh, or, you know, the, the strengths and areas of development and everything. And so uh, what's one thing like right now in the immediate and it doesn't have to be necessarily like the straight up work stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've shared with you how challenging it's been for me to try to balance running our business while also raising three kids, six and under, and and just trying to like make sure I'm remaining committed to, to both. Yeah. Uh, so what's one thing that uh, it's a trial for you and right now? I would say one of the biggest things, um, I mean, we had talked about this just like a few weeks ago, uh, was was the idea of like, this would have been the first week back at a teaching had I been in the classroom. I was not expecting to to leave the classroom this year. Um, originally, we were going to send our daughter to, to school. She's about 18 months. She was going to start preschool. Um, and both me and my wife were going to continue working. Uh, but with the Delta variant, we just we didn't feel comfortable doing that. And so we we were just like weighing all of our options. You know, what would it look like for, for my wife to stay home? What would it look like for me to stay home? And um, and and it was hard, you know, like and she's a pediatrician, you know, so if she stays home, I would have quite a quite a gap to try to try to make up there. But you say they don't pay teachers like pediatricians. Yeah, it turns out they don't. It's a little known fact. <laughs> But I remember just really kind of struggling, like just as far as like, you know, so much of, of my identity. I mean, all I've done since I, I all I've done since I left college is teach, you know, every August. I've had a first day of school every August since I was five years old. Like this was going to be the first year that I didn't have a, a first day of school. And that was me kind of like wrestling through that was was difficult because it's like not only just teaching, but like my own feeling of like self-worth of like working and contributing and being productive and being helpful. And like, I really felt that when I would go, when I was commuting and going to school and making lessons and teaching kids and working with my colleagues and then driving home at the end of the day, you know? And so, you know, me and you had a conversation about like, you know, this, this idea of like leaving the classroom and staying home, you know, and helping to take care, take care of our family and take care of our kids. And, you know, like that, that made us really think about, it made me really think about like, what is my, what are my thoughts on my, on my own identity of what it means to be a man? And how has that been shaped culturally? How has yeah. that been shaped by my family? How has that been shaped by, by the scriptures as men of faith is what we talked yeah, about, yeah. you know, and like, what are the things that are true? And what are the things that are not true? You know, what are the things that say like, okay, Am I, am I thinking that supporting my family needs, means I need to drive somewhere to go to work and then come home? Because it wasn't a financial thing. Cause my wife's always made more money than me. So <laughs> I had made talking truth. <laughs> but, you know, and, and I started realizing like supporting your family is so much more than, than having a daily commute to work. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's being present, you know, for my daughter when she's 18 months old. It's, 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 it's making use of this time right now, you know, that she's napping, that I'm not, 
you know, sitting and just taking a nap and playing video games. But there is that that thing in me that that needs to feel productive and helpful and moving towards something and working towards something. And and now this has become like the business, this this business of serving educators and creating an online business around that. And so that was like a really big struggle, though, because it's like there's so much of so much wrapped into me going into work and, and serving people in that capacity. Um, but I was, I was so thankful to, to, you know, not only talk to my dad and, um, you know, and, and you had reiterated some of the things that he had said that like, you know, these, these two work from home opportunities sound like a blessing, blessing from God that you do get to support your family financially and be present with them. And, and you get to still be productive and helpful in a, in a way that's serving the world outside of your household right. as well. And so that, that was that was a big shift. Um, but I do feel, I feel glad because I was thinking like on the first day of school, the first day of school would have been this past Tuesday. Um, and you know, I went on a run with my daughter and we spent an hour at the park and then, you know, I, I, I'm taking this online, online course on like growing YouTube as a business. And, you know, and then I went on a pizza picnic with my wife and my daughter for dinner. And so I'm like, I'm so thankful that I'm not having this like fear of missing out of mm -hmm. not being at work. Um, but it, but it took some, it took some internal dialogues and some external dialogues and some reflection right. uh, to kind of get to that point and be at peace uh, at, with that decision. And, and now, now that I'm on the other side of it, um, I'm very much at peace with that. And, and I know that it was the right decision and I'm really happy uh, that I made the decision that I did. Man, that's awesome. And I'm, I'm thrilled for you. Um, as I mentioned, huge loss for, for headwaters, very difficult, but there's a season for everything. Mm -hmm. And these moments that you have as, to be present as a father for your daughter, never going to get that back. Yeah. You know, and, and I told you, I, you know, I, I wrestled with the same thing, but as these days gone by and I'm like, you know, I, I continue to have opportunities to train Zion to ride his bike, or, you know, work with, with him and, and my, and Annalise on their swimming or, you know, Sol, who's eight months, to to be able to carry her more, to to put her in the stroller and go out there jogging, to to give Lorena space to do her thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's and to also have the opportunity to understand, like, to to the degree I can understand it, how hard it is for the mother to to do all the things that a mother has to do. To, to you're getting, you're getting a lot of hearts right now, Roberto. You're getting a lot of hearts on. <laughs> I take them. I take them all. I take them. Keep the hearts coming. I'm just speaking the truth. You know, like it. It definitely was easier for me to either have certain critiques or to be dismissive or to just not understand how hard it is. When you're staying at home with your child, when you raise your child, and again, to the degree I can understand it, because even now I see things that I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not breastfeeding the kid. I don't know what it feels like. You know, it doesn't look like a great experience. Uh, I'm sure there's great moments within that. Uh, but I know Lorena's ready to transition. So, you know, I'm looking at all this stuff, and I'm like, yeah. Even, you know, even when things feel challenging, I'm like, let me remind myself not to complain here mm -hmm. because she's been doing this 
much longer than I have, but she's also carrying a weight that I just, I can't carry, you mm-hmm. know, point blank period. Just like, you know, Sarah's carrying the weight that, that you can't carry. And so I've grown more appreciative as, as a man for, you know, what Lorena offers and what women in general, mothers in general offer. Um, and at the same time, I'm like, wow, like, I don't know how often I've, I've seen people have conversations like like two men and get on and talk about like, you know, real struggles in terms of like, hey, you know, but this whole shit and me being at home with the children and like mm-hmm. not going into work and, 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 you know, feeling some type of way about that. Yeah. That's, you know, it just doesn't seem like that's a conversation um, that happens too often um, for, for a variety of reasons, right? And yet, like, I think it's important for us to have that. And so I appreciate you just being honest and, and being vulnerable and, and for us to be able to, to to share this moment and share this season, however long it lasts. Uh, and I want to encourage others, you know, like to to not be afraid to to speak up and be vulnerable about the things that, that we experience, um, not just as professionals, but, you know, in our case, as as men, as fathers, Mm-hmm. Uh, that that impact uh, everything, right? Impact our lives, and so thank you for sharing that. My um, pleasure. So, you know, I, I always like to have people share with the audience a message of encouragement, um, because you know, part of what we're about, like you know, we'll talk about real stuff, but multicultural classroom, we 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 want to maintain a sense of hope we want to work towards that uh we want to build communities right and we want to encourage people and i know Mm -hmm. just from having observed you for the past few years to having worked alongside with you the past few years i have an opportunity to see how you engage with young people see how you engage with your colleagues that that you are a person that tries to keep things positive. You're a person who offers a lot of encouragement. Um, you would always have good ways of connecting with the children and even the way you would welcome them into the classroom. Um, you know, thankful Thursdays and mm-hmm. uh, whatever you name Fridays and- uh, High five Friday. High five Friday, there you go, <laughs> right. Um, offering the kids, a, you know, fist bump or what, whatever the case may be options, right? Manual options for how yeah. we read each other. And so I, I really always appreciated that about you. And I think that it's important that as educators that we model that for our young people, that we set that tone, that as they come into the classroom, it's like, ah, right, you know, like, I'm not feeling like my, my, my teacher's kind of pissy about being here today. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, I'm feeling the vibe that like, you know, my teacher really enjoys uh, what they do. And it's, you know, really welcomed me into the classroom, right? And so I would imagine, even even if folks don't necessarily need the encouragement, I'm like, yo, we're going to offer the encouragement anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but who doesn't, who doesn't need more encouragement? Yeah. So what's some encouraging words that you have for, for people that are watching right now? Let me, I, I had one thing, but I do actually want to share just because Malte had mentioned wanting a theme for each day. Ah, uh, yes, just so. Uh, so Monday, um, every theme was an alliteration. Monday was the hardest because what starts with M. So I settled on, and I did this remotely as well, uh, mini 
fist bump Monday. So like I would kind of do this right there, you know, <laughs> thank you, Mallory. Okay. Mal, there you go. Mal. And, and if a kid came at me with a full fist bump, I'd be like, don't come at me with a full fist bump. It's mini fist bump Monday, not full fist bump Monday. And so a little, little, you mad to do it from a distance during COVID times right now. Tuesday was <laughs> two thumbs up Tuesday. Wednesday was waving Wednesday. Thursday was thankful Thursday where I'd ask students, hey, what are you thankful for? Besides and today's Thursday, Tom. Today's Thursday. Roberto, what are you thankful for besides your friends and your family? Because I, I, I made that caveat so students wouldn't just say, uh, my family. Well, it's my mom's birthday tomorrow. And so I'm thankful that the Lord's given her another year of life and that I actually get to live in Florida in proximity to her because been away for several years. So thankful to be in proximity. I know you said don't mention family, but no, it's all right. It's all right. With my kids, I'll be like, you're not allowed to say that. That's family. <laughs> and they're like, I'm not allowed to be thankful for my mom. No. <laughs> all right. Here's, uh, fine. I'll scratch my family. Cause I'm gonna call my mom and tell her <laughs> not thankful birthday. anymore. Fine. Uh, I'm thankful that my son who's napping right now, uh, on the other side, that he is actually napping and not over there making a whole lot of noise and throwing his car and trying to get my attention. Um, so thank you, Zion, for that. Yes. So I can do this I'm surprised with as, as, as impassioned of you, as you've been speaking. You haven't woken him up. I am thankful. Uh, my wife got me a cold brew maker, which I didn't really know what it was. But instead of using hot water, you use really cold water, let it brew for like 12 hours, and then you can kind of keep it in the fridge. It's like coffee concentrate. And then you just mix it with ice, and that's what I'm drinking right now. And it's great on this 93-degree weather that we have in Austin, Texas. <laughs> oh, man. But the last thing, High Five Friday is the last one. And so those were Air Fives as well. So that's that. I, I say that as an encouragement, as a way of like, there were many days that I went to school that I, I wasn't really in the mood to do Fist Bump Monday or Thankful right. Thursday, but it almost became an expectation. It, it did become an expectation for my students. And, and just one of those things where it's like, you, you have to kind of take yourself there and then you're there, you know? So like, even though I wasn't like real, some days I just not, that not as enthused, having that structure that forced me to be present with the kids right there, mm -hmm. like actually made me more, more enthused for the, to be, to be in the classroom. And so that's one thing. The other thing I wanted to share though, is you, you, it's okay. It's okay to stop working. It's okay to stop working. Um, as teachers, a, a teacher burnout is, is very real. Right. And I think it's from teachers wanting to give their best to their kids. But what I would say, hey, Panama, that's what I'm talking about. We got a Panama flag. Look at that. <laughs> it's a, I, we're going to force you to learn the culture. That's right. That's right. Uh, the, if you, instead of like thinking, I'm going to get, I need to give my best to my students, give yourself an allotted time and say, I'm going to give my best in the time that I've allotted. So it's like, I'm going to give my kids the best up until five o'clock today. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it means I'm going to find this resource online. Maybe I would have reformatted it and changed the questions if I was going to work until eight o'clock, but I've only given myself until five. And so the best that I can do until five o'clock is to take this and we're going to use that tomorrow. The grading is going to have to wait and that email is going to have to wait. So that way you can now give your best to your family because if you're giving all of your best to your kids, that means your family's getting your leftovers and, and 
we don't we don't we don't think of it that way but i think if we recognize that that's what we're doing it will help us to to give our give the students our best in the allotted time that we give them families the first ministry as always your engagement in our classroom is greatly appreciated be sure to subscribe rate the show and write a review finally for resources to help you understand the intersection of race bias education and society go to multiculturalclassroom.com peace and love from your host roberto germani